Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. Good morning. I was in Brazil for 10 days. Yeah, I was wild. And we did a School of Prophets, uh, Ben Armstrong, myself, Lindsay, Ryman, uh, Dano, and Bethany Hicks. And uh, it was wild. Like, they, let me say this. Worship was so loud. Dano has uh, hearing loss. And so he keeps, uh, he has a meter on his phone. And 110 decibels starts to destroy your ears. It was 130.8. And they were just like packed into the room. There was, I think we, I think we trained somewhere around, I don't know, close to 4,000 uh, Brazilians. And it was wild. And when you'd make a point, they would hold up their Brazilian flag and shout. So, okay, get your American flags ready. Let's do this. It was, uh, it was really wild. And another thing that happened is we were coming home. All, the four of us, five of us were flying together home. And we got to, uh, I think it was San Paulo, um, airport, and we had to go from Terminal 1 to Terminal 3 to fly from domestic to international. And so uh, we get all through the line, and then we get all the way to Terminal 3, and I decide I want to buy this coat. And I'm telling the guy, like, he doesn't speak English, like, I need it to be the same size as this coat. When I go to say this coat, my coat's gone. And I go, oh, no, I lost my coat. And so anyway, unbeknownst to me, Daniel decides to go find it himself. And it's a 45-minute walk back to security. So he walks all the way back to security and, and then, I, you know, I buy this coat and we, we're, we're waiting for him. And an hour and like 30, 40 minutes later, he comes and he's got the coat. And he goes, you are never going to believe what happened. I'm like, what happened? He goes, I go back to security, couldn't find it there. So I go past customs, you know, which you, if you've ever been like, get back to customs. And I talked three different people, can't find your coat. I get all the way back, Terminal 2, I get to Terminal 3, I have no coat, can't find it anywhere. And, you know, Dano has this uh, thing he calls the Company of Prophets, and one of the things they do is they do finders, and they find missing children. So he's like 15 minutes from being back, and he stops and he goes, I find missing children, I can find a coat. Lord, show me where this coat is. He closed his eyes, he said, I just stopped in the middle of the airport, Terminal 3, he said, Lord, show me where this coat is. He opens his eyes, and it's on a counter right there, all folded up for him. I don't know. So that's, that's the way, we, uh, that's the way we, we ended on the way home, and it was uh, a wild, wild ride home, and a wild ride there, too. Well, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just this congregation, this movement, all the people who are or with us uh, on online campus and in, in the room. And we pray a special blessing on the speaker today. <laughs> and on the congregation. Can I get an amen? amen. Someone raise the American flag, please. <laughs> um, before I, I share, I, I, uh, yesterday I was just preparing for the day and just asking the Lord for some prophetic words for the morning. So I want to do, uh, do a few of these quickly. Um, I felt the Lord say Christmas pregnancies, September babies. So if you have been trying to get pregnant and you're, you're married, you're married. Um, and uh, it, would you just stand up? 
you're trying to get pregnant, would you just stand up? Maybe you haven't been able to, maybe you've had miscarriages. Uh, you're watching us on online campus. You can uh, do something like stand. If you're driving, just open the sunroof, stand, stand there. Um, but I, I feel like this is gonna be a, a real time of a, a breakthrough for people who've been trying to get pregnant and haven't been able to. So if there's anyone else, please stand. Thank you. So Lord, we bless the wombs of all of these women. And we pray, God, if there's anything uh, medically wrong with husband or wife, Lord, I pray that you would just heal that right now. And that we would have testimonies of literally hundreds of Christmas babies. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, everybody standing say, everybody standing say, I receive that for myself. <laughs> say, everybody say, I receive that for myself. And we end up, no, you sit down. That ain't even funny. So. Something funny come to my mind, but I'm not going to say it while we're streaming. 2024, the Lord said, it's the year of second chances. Failed businesses, failed marriages, failed fatherhood, motherhood, failed churches. It just goes on and on. If I name too many, then you'll think that's all I mean. But I heard the Lord say that 2024 is going to be the year of second chances. If that resonates with you, would you stand right now? The year of second chances, would you stand Maybe you're, maybe you're in, you know, you, you've been through a divorce and you're like, you, you know, will I ever love again? Uh, you're in a business that failed. Um, even uh, the other thing I saw in first service was that uh, maybe you, uh, you've had failed attempts to get off of some, some addiction. Uh, and we, we don't want to embarrass anybody, but if that's you, I, I do want you just to stand as a sign is a, a, a faith, that this is it right here. You're not going to go back to rehab again. You're not going to have to do that thing again. It's the Lord's extra grace for this day. So Lord, we just release that second chance word over all these folks that are standing, over all our online campus who are, who are standing by faith also. And we pray, God, do it again. Yeah. Lord, we say, do it again, Lord, do it again. Yeah. You'll live again, you'll love again, it'll happen again. You're, you're, you're clean this time for good. You'll not ever have to go back to that again. Lord, we just release it. Uh, even, you're not going to have to have another cancer treatment. It's it just, it's over, it's done, it's finished. This is it right now, in Jesus' name. And everyone who's standing and online too, just say, I receive that for myself. Oh, that's good. God bless you. You can sit down. Um, I, I have this word. It, nobody needs to do anything about this, but I, I just want to proclaim it uh, publicly. This is the beginning of a tipping point for government, and I heard surprised candidates win in the northwest part of the country, setting off a chain reaction. I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to proclaim it. Lord, we just pray right now for surprise candidates to win in the Northwest and for it to release a chain reaction of righteousness and justice in Jesus' name. Um, I saw uh, someone had a dream um, early this month. I think it was on the 7th or 8th. So I think it was like at, on the 7th night, 8th morning, so to speak, uh, being a wrestler in a wrestling ring. 
If, you, if that's you, would you stand up? If that's you, would you stand up? You had a dream about being in a wrestling match. If that's you, would you stand up? Okay. A man stood up in first service. Oh, that's you. Well, you're wrestling, two of you, like you're wrestling with each other. Okay. I had prophesied uh, marriage counseling on that one. No, on a serious note, I, 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 God said this, you're a champion, you're a winner, and I, I felt like, uh, you, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I felt like there was going to be, this is going to be this, the time of breakthrough for you. I heard that you came out of the ring with this big, I saw this big, you know, that, uh, those wrestling belts, they were those championship belts, and that you're leaving, first of all, you're leaving the wrestling match, but as a champion, so I want to proclaim that that wrestle is over, that you're leaving the ring as a champion. If you're online, I would say the same to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, okay, this is one I haven't done yet. Uh, I felt for this service. Someone's in the organic food business, and you're about to receive a huge contract. It's going to 10x your business and 100 times your profits. Um, is somebody in the organic food business in here? I'm going to proclaim this anyway because we have so many people online. But is there someone that that speaks to specifically? Okay, so Lord, we just release this word over that business that you would 10 times the business. You said 30, 60, 100 folds. This is super easy for you. We pray 100 times the profits. Lord, that you would, uh, this would be a word that uh, is in exact right season in Jesus' name. Um, you know, sometimes you have a word, I'm sure you had this before, it doesn't mean anything to you. Like, have you ever had a word that's like kind of weird, and you're like, I don't know what that means. And, and sometimes, you know, I'd say many, many times I don't give it, and then I find out later, like, someone says this. And this, this uh, eight-year-old girl came up to me in Brazil. She's a pastor's daughter. The pastor brought her up and said, this, uh, my daughter has a word for you. I'm like, okay. And I was having a really, uh, it was about day eight or day seven, in Brazil, and I had been sick uh, the whole 24 hours. I was having a tough time. And I said out loud that morning in prayer, I was in my room by myself, and I said, man, should I go on? And this little girl comes up to me and she said, you prayed this morning, should you go on? <laughs> and the Lord said, go on. And I was like, uh, pretty accurate. <laughs> I got like 20 words in Brazil. That was the best word I got. And it wasn't profound, it, was, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't profound, but it was powerful because of what happened earlier, right? So um, I have this word, it doesn't mean anything to me, but um, peaches and cream, if that means something to you, like profound to you, would you stand? If it means something profound to you, would you stand? Isn't it interesting, nobody stood? Five people stood in first service. You guys just aren't peachy. But <laughs> Bill, Bill wants to stand so he can eat it. Okay, did someone stand? Oh, okay. Okay, you can sit now. I have no idea what it means. No, just, oh, I'm serious, you can stand. Um, I, I, I felt that this, honestly, I felt like this is a little bit like that little girl. For me, it's why I told the story. Like, it's meaningful to you even though it doesn't sound profound to us, but I feel like the Lord wants you to know, like, I listen to you, I'm, you, you have my ear, the spotlight's on you, the, the, the season of you feeling like um, uh, you're, you're a wallflower, you're on the bench, you're not needed, uh, wh whatever is kind of like, 
maybe even disqualified. The Lord's like, no, 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 you're qualified. I'm putting you in the game. You're the star of the show. Something profound is going to happen to you um, in, in late February. And so I bless what the Lord's doing in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to talk about the power of true love. And I want to tell you, I spent a lot of time on this message. I have 10 pages, and I got through page one in every service this morning so far. So I don't know how far we'll get, but maybe we'll do a part two next week or something. Um, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I want to read it one more time. Super simple. By the way, you're not going to hear anything that you, unless you're a brand new believer, that you haven't heard before. And the stories, I have a few stories. Stories I've told, they're in two books. So I just felt that sometimes we need like Christianity 101. So 1 John 4.16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I, I just want to make a note that it doesn't say that love is God. It says God is love. Yeah. Now, it does, that does make a difference. How many you know there's a big difference between saying my dog is a girl and my girl's a dog? <laughs> Not the same thing. It might just like to point out that words matter in order. <laughs> like Bazaar Bethel, as opposed to Bethel Bazaar. That was a really good example. I, I'm just pointing out that some people have made love a God. But the truth is, is that if I abide in God, if I abide in God because God doesn't just love, he is love. When I abide in God, I actually, love is actually a natural flow out of me. Because I'm abiding in him. Are you with me? I remember some years ago, um, you know, you guys, uh, all, my, all my friends know this, but I'm a little OCD. Okay, more than a little. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, like everything, I like everything like spotless and in order. And I have grandkids, lots of them. So my shop is like, you can normally eat off the floor, every tool. And I can tell when they've, those little demons have come over. <laughs> they're, not, they're not demons, that's just a joke. But like, like they move things. They put things away where they don't belong. Or they don't bring them back as if, that's part of their inheritance that they think they, they should be getting. And uh, one of my grandkids puts things back greasy because he said at least they won't rust. So I have all these opportunities to be loving. And this is a few years ago, but I was in my shop and there was this big old mess. One of the kids left a big old mess. And I just said, oh, Lord, make me patient. And the Lord said, you don't need patience. You need love. Love is patient. I was pretty convicted because what he said is, you're not being loving. You're asking for patience, but if you loved, you would be patient. And I feel like sometimes we're trying to get the attribute without actually abiding. Like if you abide in the Lord, like these attributes like love, joy, peace, patience, you get them. But if you, cho if you chase joy, you don't even get joy. It's <laughs> a good point I'm making on that behalf. Um... I think that, you know, there are things that happen in your life that change you. And I mean, anybody who's known me at all knows my story. I had a tough childhood. 
Um, but I learned this thing from my grandfather first. That love believes in people before they deserve it. I, I didn't know how to put words to that for many, many years. But I was thinking about Jesus and, how, you know, somebody like, well, how do you know that that's in the scripture? Well, Jesus loved people before they deserved it. He, he believed in them before they deserved it. And, you know, for example, Judas. Did you notice that Judas, Jesus makes Judas the treasure? But three chapters before you know he he's, has the money box, I think it's in the book of Luke, Jesus says that he knows Judas is a thief. Like, if you know Judas is a thief, why do you make him the treasurer? Like, why not Matthew? I mean, you have people around you that, like, Matthew was a, a tax collector. He, he knows how to deal with money. Why don't, why don't you take the guy who's gifted and experienced and make him the treasurer? And I think that, you know, Jesus did miracles, obviously raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out demons so many times. All, all of these things are so important. But in my mind, the most lasting impact of the faith that Jesus had in my mind, wasn't mostly those things. It was the fact that he believed in people before they deserved it. And it created 11 world changers. And one man hung himself. I, I want to point out that life is not very safe. And Ephesians chapter 4 says this. I want to, it says... Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And listen to this. Do not give the devil an opportunity or a place. The word opportunity is really interesting. It means passenger. It means reef or island. It means locale. It means opportunity. It means when I let the sun go down on my anger, when I hold bitterness in my heart, I'm actually inviting, I'm making deals with the devil. I'm actually inviting him on my reef. Come to my island. Come over here to Eden. Come to my Eden. And what I'm getting at is that I don't think anybody goes, I think I'm make a deal with the devil. There's probably a few people like that, but probably not here. But we make deals with the devil when we refuse to forgive. When we stay offended. When you make inner vows, like you go through a divorce and you're like, I will never trust anybody like that again. And we make this inner vow and we don't realize it, but when we do that, we are making deals with the devil. I was riding with, uh, on a plane, this was BC, before COVID. <laughs> and... Um, I was riding on, the, on a plane with this lady who was a, a lawyer. She was a labor lawyer. And she first worked for uh, the labor board. So she defended the, the government and defended uh, the, the employee. And she did that for many years. And then later on, she went to work for, the, uh, for, a, um, for a business, a very large business. And she was defending the company. And so we were talking. She wasn't a believer, but she was just really kind and we were having this really great conversation. I, I love business, of course, and employees and all of that. And la labor court, well, that's, I've been there once or twice. So I have a little bit of, you know, experience. 
And she made this statement that I thought was profound. She said, do you know where the most labor violations come from? I said, no. She said, she said in the high 90%, it is employees and employers who were once best friends. Wow. And the employer, employee, usually the employee, gets offended and then looks at the situation from their offense and builds a case that they've been abused. And she said, you know, when you're friends, you know, it's like you work overtime, you don't write it down, you, 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 know, you, you travel with the, the boss to something, and you don't, you don't write your time down, you just go, and, you know, it's just like you're, you're, not, you're not counting every expense, and, you know, you're just doing extra things, you're coming in on your day off because there's a big thing going on, and you just want to make sure it goes well. And then you get offended, and you look back, and you feel like you've been colonized. You feel like you've been abused because you're looking not through the eyes of love anymore, but through the eyes of abuse because you made a deal with the devil. And you rewrite the story in your mind that your friend was actually trying to use you the whole time. I know that's never happened to anyone in here praying for Kathy. <laughs> Obviously, I'm being funny, but I mean, I just want to say life's not that safe. We have challenges, and most of the challenges that we have with people, you know, the person who can hurt you the most is the person that you love the most. Like, the transient guy, we're supposed to love everyone, right? As Christians, like, we're supposed to love the transient, even the enemy, whatever, people who are our enemies. And, and the transient guy... He, he, he might say terrible things about me. It, it doesn't bother me. He didn't have a place in my heart. The people who get deep in my heart are people I'm married to, people I'm close friends with, people that we walk together. Those are the people that we have to work hard to keep our relationships clean because it's so easy to be offended when we're just doing life. Sometimes you do it on accident. Often, right? Just do something stupid. You just weren't thinking. Uh, or you had a bad day, or you were in a bad mood, or you just said something off the cuff that you shouldn't have said. Other times, you're just stupid. You ever been stupid? Yeah. What's that like? <laughs> my, my grandfather... He was the first man who ever believed in me. He didn't know the Lord. I led him to the Lord the last year of his life. And, but he loved me. Now, I'm going to tell you, my grandfather wasn't warm and fuzzy. Like, I put his story in my first book, Supernatural Ways of Royalty. One of my cousins read it, and obviously her grandfather too. And she was like, she did not experience my grandfather like that at all. My grandfather wasn't warm and fuzzy. Like, he never went to my game. I don't ever remember him watching anything I did. I, I, nothing like that. I was just always with him. He called me knucklehead. And his idea of being a grandfather was like, you're with me everywhere I go. And I can remember laying underneath a car. I don't know. I was probably seven, eight years old. And my grandfather's working on a car. We're both dirty. I'm pretending to help. And I'm talking to my grandfather. And, and he's like, yeah, knucklehead. 
I don't think he even listened to me. You know, I was always doing something stupid. My grandmother had a name for me. And when I asked her what it was, she said fried milk. My grandparents were Spanish, so they spoke Spanish. And they intentionally didn't tell us, teach us Spanish so they could talk to one another. Years later, I went to Mexico, and I was talking to one of the pastors, and I'm like, yeah, my grandfather called me Knucklehead, and my grandmother called me this name, and she said it was fried milk, and he goes, what was the name? And I told him, and she's like, he goes, don't ever repeat that. <laughs> and my grandparents, they owned four houses. They were really, really old houses, even when we lived in them. And, uh, and whenever, you know, I remember that we lived there on and off many times. So when my father drowned, we lived there for a season when I was, I was three. And then uh, when my mother went through a divorce, we lived there again. And, and then we just kind of lived there on and off a lot. And when I was at my grandfather's house all the time. So, you know, and I remember this is when my mom went through divorce. So I was probably 12, 13. And, uh, and my mom would, uh, she, was, she worked, so I had a couple hours alone by, by myself at my grandparents' house next door to my grandparents' And uh, I, my, my grandfather would always take me to the hardware store. Like, I, I, I probably recollection is not accurate, but it seemed like my grandfather went to the hardware store every day. And it, had, it was always something broken. So, and he'd always say, hey, come on, knucklehead, come with me. So, now, I've got to explain my grandfather to you. So my grandfather was a farmer. He wasn't fat, but he was like kind of stocky. <laughs> and he wasn't very tall. And he wore coveralls, and he didn't wear underwear. And you would know that because he didn't button them up. <laughs> and my grandmother was forever like, he called, they, she called him Sparky. Sparky, button up your, your coveralls. He goes, oh, and I need to air. You know, so he was, <laughs> it's just crazy. And my grandfather had a, <laughs> he had a gum disease, so they pulled all of his teeth out, but just left his four eye teeth in, which I have no idea why. And then, they, and then he had false teeth. But the false teeth didn't fit right. They said he, they hurt him. So he kept them out, but he put them in his coveralls right here and kept them kind of out just far enough so he said he could get to them quick in case he needed to eat. And he would suck his gums in. You can't do it if you have teeth, but he just had four eye teeth. And he had a nervous habit of them. And my grandfather didn't walk like a normal person. He kind of kind of did that. <laughs> it was beautiful but in a different way so I remember we, we, my grandpa was like hey we're going to the hardware store I'm like alright so I yelled at my mom hey mom go to the hardware store with grandpa and she's like hey hey come here so I come in and my mom would always do this look in my eyes she's like don't ask for anything you understand me I think my mom was just embarrassed because my grandfather helped us all the time and gave us stuff. And so anyway, so we go to the hardware store and, I, and my grandfather's always time like this. Just look around. I'll find you when I'm done. All right. So he comes and it's been like a half hour and I'm over there and I'm looking at the hammers. They're on a pegboard. My grandfather's like, huh, you want a hammer? Huh? Did your mother tell you not to ask for anything? Uh-huh. Pick out a hammer. So I pick out a hammer, a blue Stanley hammer. I'll never forget it. I have another one just like it now. 
And, uh, and so I get home and, you know, and there's nothing to do. Like there's, it, we're, you know, it, we're living in a city. So I hammer everything, every hammer, every nail I could find for the next two days. And I think it was like day three. I'm like, man, I want to build me a go-kart. I couldn't find any wood. So I went to my grandfather's garage, I looked for wood, couldn't find it. But with the, the, this, the uh, garage was made out of shiplap. So I, I just ripped the shiplap off as far as I could find to like my height. And I built a go-kart. And I needed wheels, and I, I couldn't find any, so I just took them off my grandfather's track, my uh, lawnmower. I nailed them to the side, and my mother comes home. My mother comes home, and she's like, how was your day? I'm like, all right. She's like, I said, I built a go-kart. She's like, oh, where'd you get the wood? From the garage. She looks over the garage, the sun's shining through the freaking garage. She looks at me, and she goes, come here. She grabs my Your grandfather's gonna kill. Look at me. Your grandfather's gonna kill you, understand? Uh-huh. Where did you get the wheels? <laughs> From the lawnmower. You are dead. <laughs> my grandfather comes home. He, he drove a 53 Ford, black Ford. From the time I was born, I was, I was born in 55, so he, he had it my whole life. And he, uh, you know, they, they lived through the Depression, so my grandfather would come down the street in his Ford, he'd turn the key off like, three blocks before the house and coast in. <laughs> Save gas. So, so he gets home and my mother marches me out like, you know, that was back when there was real discipline. And my mother marched me out and she says, tell him what you did. And I said, I built a go-kart. And he goes, eh, what you doing, knucklehead? I said, I built a go-kart. He looks at it and he's, where'd you get the wood? <laughs> From the garage, sun shining through it. Uh, we'll just put some plywood on that. We don't care about that. What, what'd you do? But where'd you get the wheels? I said, mm, from the lawnmower. He goes, oh, come on. Get in the car. Let's go get you some real wheels and axles. So we go get wheels and axles and build a real go-kart. My mother's like, you are dead when you get home. <laughs> Years later, my grandfather moved to a farm. I, I, I think I was around 13. And, uh, and I lived there the six weeks um, uh, at summer break. And during, during harvest time. And, um, and so, and, you know, I worked in the field and helped my grandfather. I thought I was helping him anyway. And, um, and my grandfather, we were, came from a Spanish family. Like, my grandparents are actually from Spain. And so they have this patriarchal kind of, um, you know, tradition that everybody comes to my grandparents' house at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Even if you don't want to. Like, I, I mean, even as an adult, like, you have to show up for two hours at least and eat something, then you can go. So we all at my grandfather's farm. I have seven cousins. They're all girls, all my age. No other boys in my family. And so we go to my grandfather's farm. These girls are primpy. Like they don't, like they, you know, they live in paved paradise, put up a parking lot. They've never seen dirt. <laughs> so the adults are all partying and having too much to drink. My grandmother's doing the casanets. You know what the casanets are? A cucaracha. Yeah, she's doing that. It's a big thing. All my family's there. And, and my grandfather, uh, we're on the farm, and my grandfather turns to me, he throws me the keys to the flatbed, like 48 Dodge truck, and says, go have some fun. So I get the truck, and I say to the girls, hey, jump on the truck, let's go for a ride. So they, you know, they're all, again, they're all like, they're city girls. They jump on the back of the truck, 
My grandfather's farm is like on on this hill, and the and the and the, and the valley below is the is the actual where the trees are the farm. So I go get on the truck, and there, and my oldest cousin gets in the truck with me, and we go blasting down the in through the field as fast as the truck will go. And when it, you know when you're when it's going, it's you know it, it vibrates. It's like an old truck. They're all hanging onto the bed, dirt's everywhere. Get in the middle of the field, ooh, we get stuck in the mud. And I go, hey, girls, you need to get off and push. <laughs> they go, we are not getting off. I said, well, we are stranded. They're like, now it goes on and on, like 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes goes by. They go, fine, we'll push. So they get all seven girls get in the back, and they're, in, you know, they're, trying to, they're pushing. And I started up and ooh, pop the clutch, dual wheels, covers them in mud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was an accident. <laughs> they're covered in mud. And we won't, we get out and I'm like, jump on. They, they're like, oh, they're all angry and cussing. And they get on the back of the truck and my cousin gets back in the truck. And we take off down this dirt road, which is about 10 miles long. And we're blasting down this road. And as fast as it'll go, like 40 miles an hour, girls are hanging on, dust everywhere. And on one side is a, the river, and the other side is a cliff. And we're on this narrow dirt road. And I forget that the road's washed out. So we go blast, and we're going like two miles down this road, and the road's washed out. And I stop, and I'm like, oh, no. Now we have to back up two miles. Oh, great. So I'm like 15. So I tell my cousin, open the door and make sure we don't fall off. She's like, Okay. So I put it in reverse, back up as fast as it'll go. It's like five miles an hour. All of a sudden I hear, I stop. A tree, the door was open. Tree grabbed the door, ripped it completely off, hanging by one hinge, and it bent it in half. My cousin looks over and she goes, your grandfather's going to kill you. He is going to kill you. I said, so we drive, finally get all the way back up, and we get up to the top where they're having the party, and I say, don't tell anybody. We'll just leave it like this. All seven cousins jump off the truck, run into the party. Chris wrecked the truck! My uncle comes out, and one of his kids are on that truck. He comes out. Obviously, everyone's had too much to drink. My uncle comes out. He sees the truck. The hinges, you know, it's like practically dragging on the ground. He looks at it, and he starts yelling, You, you wrecked the truck. You had those girls in the truck. You could have killed them. You understand it. Here comes my grandfather. (laughs) He hears my uncle yelling at me. And I look over, my my grandfather, my uncle, still yelling at me. My grandfather goes, (laughs) That means don't talk. I got this. He goes, uh, oh, what, what seems to be the problem? What happened? Oh, you know what? I've been wanting to take those doors off that truck since we got it. That, this, is, this, is a, this is a farm truck. Opening and closing those doors, way too much work. Go get, the, <laughs> go get the tools and take both doors off. My uncle's like, you are dead. <laughs> a year later, my grandfather bought me, brought me, bought me built me a treehouse. 
And, uh, the, you know, I told you the mountain goes down like this. My grand, there was a big old tree, and my grandfather built me this beautiful treehouse. It, it, and and it, you, go, you walk down the trail, and there's a, a bridge that goes in my treehouse. It was a really nice treehouse. Like, it even had a toilet in it. <laughs> yeah, you didn't want to be under it when you flushed, but... <laughs> my grandfather hadn't figured the plumbing out yet, but... Yeah. And so uh, my grandfather worked at Hershey's during the day, and he would give me a list of chores. He also bought me a Honda 90 motorcycle. So and after I got my chores done, I could, go, um, I could go do whatever I wanted. I only couldn't drive the tractor. I could drive a tractor only when he was with me. So anyway, so I, I messed around treehouse, got all my chores done. And there's a tree, you know, maybe about this, maybe about this big around, that grew through my treehouse. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to pull that tree out. So I go upstairs to the top and I get a chain. And I go, to the, I go to the tree, I tie it on a chain, I tie it to my motorcycle. <laughs> and some of you are like, why didn't you cut it down? It never occurred to me. <laughs> I back up to the tree, whoosh, I fly like 10 feet into the air, land in the dirt. And when I hit the dirt, something happened to me. I went mental. And I was so angry. I walked by the tree and I said, you are dead. You mess with the wrong guy. No, I'm like 15. So I, walk, so I drive all the way up to the top, and I get all the chain my grandfather has. I don't know how many feet, like 200 feet. I have it wrapped around my neck like freaking Rambo. I drive down as fast as that motorcycle goes, and I, and, I, I talk, and I think, you know, I need leverage because if I tie it to the top, then I can snap it off. So I climb the tree. It takes me like 20 minutes with all this chain on. I climb the tree, I tie it to the top, and then I think, I also need speed. I'm gonna break it right off. So I tie the chain to my motorcycle, and I pull my motorcycle up the hill, all the way up the hill. And I think, well, I'm gonna be like Evil Knievel. I'm gonna pass that tree, I'm gonna be in fourth gear, and I'm gonna snap it off. Have you ever had an incident where you can still remember like it was yesterday? Even the emotion of it. Yeah. So I come down this hill. I don't know how fast I'm going, fast as it'll go. I pass the tree. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. And the chain comes tight. And it goes. And I see in the rearview mirror, the tree goes. It's, it, it probably lasted a millisecond, but it seemed like time stopped. I flew over the handlebars like 40 feet in the soft dirt. I land on my back like a quarterback who's been tackled, I look up and the tree goes, Whoa! and my motorcycle is literally like 200 feet in air. It lands at the top of the mountain. Now I am out of my mind mad. I walk up the mountain and I think, I'm gonna get my grandfather's tractor. He understands emergencies. So I take the tractor. I drive it down as fast as it'll go, which is like 20 miles an hour, probably. I put the forks on both sides of the tree. I wrap the chain around it. I give it full throttle. And then I pull the hydraulic level, and it goes, and it bends the fork straight down. Straight down. And when it does... I come back to my right mind. 
And I can still remember saying out loud, my grandfather's going to kill me. So I drive it slowly back to the top, and I put it in the shop. My grandfather comes rolling in his 53 Ford, turns off the car, rolls in from half a mile out, gets out of the car, and he's like, what you doing, knucklehead? Hmm. Did you get all your chores done? Mm-hmm. Are you all right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll never forget the look on his face. <laughs> I bring him in the shop. He comes in. He looks. <laughs> what happened, knucklehead? <laughs> Oh, I've been wanting to teach you how to use the torches all summer. It's the perfect time. Go get the torches. And then that summer, threw the keys of the tractor to me. He said, during harvest, you won't be picking with the pickers. You'll be driving the tractor and bringing the pellets up. My grandfather basically said, I still believe in you. You're still a good man. I got to tell you, this is, finish the story. A few years ago, one of my grandsons was over, and he was driving the lawn tractor. Kathy was um, playing with the horses or something, and I was working at a spot. And uh, and we have a, a big old fourteen foot high garage door that rolls down, you know, automatic garage door. But it doesn't. It didn't have the the eyes on it where you you know you you step in there and it stops it. So I'm working out there, and I see my grandson on the tractor, and I see him, I see him coming, coming out of the garage, and I see the door coming down. He must have pushed the button. And the door's coming down. It's really high. And I'm running across the yard. I'm like, Micah! Micah, stop! Micah, stop! And just as I get, like, I don't know, from here to the stage, he hits the door and rips it completely off and just... I go, Micah, and she goes, remember your grandfather. I go, Micah, let's fix the door together. I want to read this last scripture and we'll be done. Proverbs 19.11 says, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. And I just want to finish by saying what I've already said. Life is, life is not simple. Life is full of stupid people like you and me who do stupid stuff. Lots of times on accident and sometimes on purpose. And forgiveness Without forgiveness, those things just build up. Like, you, 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 you tore my garage down. You, 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 you broke my truck. Now, now you wrecked my forklift. But my grandfather didn't know the Lord till the last year of his life. But he never did that. He never added up. You did it again. It was like it had never happened it's like, this is the first time you ever acted like a knucklehead. And yet, those are just three of the incidents 
could tell you a lot more. But my point is, is that when we don't forgive, we lose the lens of love and we begin to look at each other through the lens of offense. And when we do that, we're making deals with the devil and we're inviting him onto our reef. And we're wondering why our life is so hard. And by the way, you know this, nothing is new for any of you believers that have been believers for any time. But unforgiveness is toxic waste. You want it to be pointed towards the person you're mad at. It doesn't stay there. It gets on the people you love, the people you're not mad at, and even yourself. And I just want to pray for a moment because all of us have those things. You may not be a funny storyteller, but some of you are like, oh, I remember when my frontal lobe was not working. You know, when you say to your teenager, why did you jump off the roof? Didn't you know you were going to break your leg? I don't know. Because he really doesn't know. Because his frontal lobe isn't even developed yet. And then later on, when our brain is fully developed, we still sometimes do some really bad stuff. And what we need is forgiveness that erases, that rewrites our history. But we also need the ability to rebuild trust. Let me say that again. We need the ability to rebuild trust. If we don't have that, we're stacking tractor, truck, garage on top of each other. And we're living in an ice castle of bitterness and unforgiveness to people we once loved most often very much. And I want to challenge you today. If we don't proactively forgive, we reactively live in bitterness. Like, I feel like when an incident happens, we actually have to go, I forgive. Not just do that, but just give a place for it. Hey, here's the tractor keys. Let's try it again. You know what my grandfather did for me? I wanted to please him so bad. It didn't, I didn't want to make more mistakes. I tried hard not to because he so believed in me. And something happens when you keep giving trust back to somebody. I know there are a few evil people in the world who are bent on evil and they just need a whole new life. I get that. And I'm talking about most people. 99% of the people that live around us need someone to go, here's the keys, try it again. And those people are the people we don't want to disappoint because we know we deserve to be barred from the garage. And I just want us to pray right now. Would you please stand with me? The Holy Spirit would show us any place, any person in our life where we look at the whiteboard of our life with them and we're like, oh, there's a whole bunch of things on there that need to be erased. 
because we're still dealing with them. And by the way, like I pointed out, most often, these are like our husbands, our wives, our close friends, our family, people that we said, here's my heart, come in really close because I trust you, and then I don't. And these are the people we love the most, and they cause us the most pain. And so I want to pray the Holy Spirit shows you. And then today, I'd like you, if you would, give you some homework, and those who are watching by Bethel, that you just go home and you, you take, I don't know, 10 minutes or 15, and you let Lord, here's some, a whole bunch of stuff on the whiteboard here. It needs to be erased. Help me to start over again. So Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would come in and you would show us, or maybe you say convict us, of places where we've held people in bitterness, maybe for years, and where we've learned to not trust people, or maybe we don't trust ourselves, we don't trust the people we love the most. And I pray, God, that this 2023, 2024 be a time of new beginnings, a time to start over, a time to love again, to live again. And just say, why don't you say this out loud, Holy Spirit, search my heart. And if there's anything in me that needs adjusted, I give you permission to adjust me, to convict me, to teach me, and to lead me out of this deal I made with the devil. Amen. God bless you. Appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.